Uh, man, it's so good to be here in person. In fact, last time when we met, just a few weeks ago, in person in this way, uh, a lot of folks who are joining us online from home were saying, everybody's so happy to see everybody. And yes, that's true. We're all so happy to see everybody. In fact, there was somebody I ran into this morning, and I said to them, I said, oh, it's so good to see you. And she said, you can only see half of me. My face is like, you know, my mask. And I said, I said I'll take half. Um, and it just, it just has been feeling like a big, soul-filled breath of fresh air. So welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here. And we're glad uh, to have you join us, all of you who are uh, coming, uh, joining with us digitally. You're here in spirit. I, too, want to say a big thank you to the teams for helping us get this set up. In fact, can we give them a, a round of applause and in the chat bar as they look at this later? I don't know, but man, it, there's a learning curve to figuring this out uh, just in the sense of regathering, uh, let alone doing it in a new place. So thank you guys. What, what a gift, what a ministry, what a blessing to us. And God willing, we'll be able to do this even more uh, soon and more regularly uh, start coming, coming Easter time. Well, before we get into our teaching today, I do want to pause and reflect and address uh, some of the events that are happening this last week, especially uh, the, the tragedy that happened in Atlanta, the shootings there. Uh, and, and while I am uh, unable to fully uh, relate or, or, or even understand, even as I have Asian American kids myself, I just want to say especially to our Asian American uh, family members here at Current uh, and friends in the community and beyond, uh, we are grieving with you. Uh, we are here for you and we, are, we, we stand with you. If there's something that the scriptures teach very clearly, it's that we are all made in the image of God, each and every one of us. And one of the great implications of the gospel is that we are also, therefore, called to love everybody, everybody, regardless of skin color, gender, ethnicity, um, creed, or any other category that we can come up with or put on people. And so uh, we love you. We're grieving right now. And actually, with that in, in mind and in our hearts, I want to start there in prayer, if that's okay, and then we'll get into today's text. Uh, Father, uh, as we grieve over the events that happened this last uh, week, uh, we, we know that w when we grieve in these ways, that, that you grieve all the more. Uh, and you grieve most of all for the state of the human heart, how we regularly and repeatedly uh, reject you and your ways. And a deeply rooted form of this sin is, is when we treat those whom we perceive different from us differently. And so, Father, for, forgive us when, when we do that. And, and, Father, would you please help us as followers of yours, as, as your church, uh, not only love, but also create and, and facilitate loving environments for, for everybody. And then, Father, I want to pray for those especially feeling confused, hurt, uh, fearful. Uh, would you especially be with them and draw them near to you, even this morning. And Father, as we turn now to your word, would you please open it up to us and teach each of us through the power of your Holy Spirit what you have in front of us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, since the beginning of this year, we've been going through Hebrews chapter 11, this great hall of faith, as it were, looking at the lives of these ancient men and women of faith and how they were able to follow the Lord even in the midst of facing trying circumstances themselves. The whole goal of this, of course, has been to try to glean for ourselves how we too can face hard circumstances, which we're all facing right now. I mean, however you slice it, this last year and starting of, of this year, we're all facing hard circumstances in, in any form or fashion. And so we've been trying to understand how can we as well survive, but not just survive, thrive, but not just thrive, get to, even in the midst of the middle of facing hard things, get to partner with God in His life-changing eternal work. I hope this series has been encouraging to you. It certainly has been for me personally as I've been studying and preparing and hopefully letting this kind of sink into my own heart. But today we come to the last little section of Hebrews chapter 11 where the author kind of pulls the lens back and kind of does a swath like look look-see at some of these uh, people groups that were uh, ancient men and women of faith to try to, to give us some high-level lessons and principles. In other words, what he does in these last little few verses of chapter 11 is drive home some themes that, that's been at play so far. And he kind of summarizes and presses home some of the things that we've been talking about. So we're going we're gonna to consider this today, and specifically we're going to consider two Two ways that their faith, the faith of these ancient men and women, empowered them to face trying circumstances. Okay? Today we're going to be looking at two specific ways that their faith, these ancient men and women of faith, that their faith empowered them to face trying circumstances so that we too can face trying circumstances ourselves. So we're going to jump straight into it today. The first of these is we see that their faith empowered them to evaluate the present. The faith of these men and women empowered them to evaluate the present. I know the scripture was just read, but let's get a flavor of it again. Verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured. I mean, what's abundantly clear here is these guys faced terrible, terrible circumstances. In fact, far worse than anything we could ever face or are facing right now, right? I mean, they faced fire, lions, the sword, torture. But what's strikingly clear, as this Hebrews writer kind of lays this out, is the fact that the point is not, and poor these people, you know, and, and how terrible it was for them, but rather, and how amazing it is, how incredible it was. The reality is these people, these ancient men and women of faith, understood something that we really need to kind of understand. And the high-level thought is this. That they understood that this life is not just about this life. This life isn't just about this life. So their faith empowered them to evaluate their present. It let them understand their trying circumstances in light of what they understood God to be and what promises He had in store of them. Their faith empowered them to evaluate their present circumstances. Look, there's no promise in the Scriptures that becoming a Christian or follower of God is going to make for an easier or more comfortable life. 
In fact, you don't have to look too much further than Jesus to understand that to be the case, right? The sinless, perfect Son of God living perfectly, selfishly, uh, selflessly, excuse me, uh, sacrificially. And yet, where did that lead him in, in his life? But to the cross. And on the cross, he didn't just face the physical torment of being crucified, but he also faced the spiritual torment of bearing the, the weight of the sin of the world. In other words, Jesus, who lived perfectly and perfectly selflessly, faced something far more terrible than even these people in this great hall of faith. And yet, how did Jesus evaluate his present-day circumstances? If you want to cheat and look ahead, just a few verses, Hebrews 12, verse 2 tells us. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that's incredible. How did Jesus face a worse circumstance than any of us could even imagine? He faced it with joy. Now, how could he do that? Well, he understood, he knew his heavenly Father and what plans his heavenly Father was working out, that everything would be worked out for good. And that's what these men and women of faith were able to do. Their, their faith empowered them to do. The point here is that these ancient men and women of faith were not defeated through their trying circumstances. The point here the Hebrews author is making is that they were victorious through their trying circumstances. And in fact, if, if we break down these categories of people that are kind of listed out in this text, you'll see that there really are two people, two types of people here listed out. Now, on, on the one hand, we see people who were victorious over their circumstances. People victorious over their circumstances. Verse 33 says they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, routed enemies. They're victorious over their circumstances, meaning they were pushing the ball forward. They were girding themselves up and taking ground. They were victorious over their circumstances. But on the other hand, we see people, a category of people here in this text, who were victorious under their circumstances. Verse 35 says they were tortured. They faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. In other words, if we looked at it from a worldly perspective, their, their life amounted to a lot of pain and suffering and was wasted. And yet, that's not what the Hebrews writer says. Look how he concludes in verse 38. It says, the world was not worthy of them. I think of these two categories of people, people who faced trying circumstances and were victorious either over it or under it. It's the people who were victorious over those trying circumstances that I think we tend to resonate or, uh, or relate to a little bit more or understand a little bit better. Because I think we, we can work it through in our minds that, man, while they had a terrible, terrible life and they had, they had to face some terrible, terribly trying circumstances, at least it amounted for something. Right? They were able to sacrifice and take some ground. That, okay, I guess that's worth it. That's, that could be worth it. But then what about this other category of people? Right? These people who are victorious under their circumstances, who were just imprisoned, who just were kind of left there. Some of them even, even killed. I think those people, if, if we're real about it, at least with our Silicon Valley lens on it, they're harder to understand. We might be tempted ourselves to be like, that's not worth it. But the Hebrews writer is saying, from God's perspective, and in light of eternity, it wasn't just worth it. This world wasn't worthy of them. So let me ask you, does your faith help you evaluate your present day circumstances? You know, when you're facing trying circumstances, does your faith empower you to face those in light of who God is and what He is doing and His promises? 
You know, I think this has been one of the hardest lessons for me personally as a, as a follower of Christ myself, and, and I'm nowhere near not still learning this. But it's, it's this lesson of when hard times hit, they're not just a, a time and place to gird myself up and just press through, but actually to learn that hard times actually afford me an opportunity, dare I say, gift, to follow God by faith. I was listening to an interview recently of a pastor who had uh, ministered and served in Manhattan for a, a number of decades, actually, recently retired. And the interviewer asked this pastor the question, have you ever been through something really hard in the ministry that you really had to struggle and get through? And, uh, and, and the, the pastor being interviewed just started laughing at that. He's just like, oh, there's just too many. Are you kidding? Like, and, and he said, well, just give us one. And he said, okay, I'll give you one. And he said, you know, yeah, having ministered in New York right after the, the tragic events around 9-11, that got really hard. He said, in some ways, you know, it was hard and good because, you know, people were really struggling after that. People were really grieving. There was a lot of pain, right, a lot of mess. But at the same time, there was also a lot of ministry opportunity because people were asking questions that they hadn't really been asking up until that point, looking to God for answers, coming to church to try to wrestle through these big ideas with mortality just being a little bit more on everybody's conscience and all, all that sort of thing. So he said, so it was hard, but it was good. But he said he, in that time, he also got a call from a pastor friend who uh, lived and served in Oklahoma, helping his church in Oklahoma get through the aftermath of the bombings there. And this pastor called up the pastor of New York and said, hey, I just want you to know, life's going to get really hard for you for the next few years. It's like when something like this happens, I just, it, it just gets really, really hard. It'll get better, hopefully, but it's just going to get really hard. And this pastor from New York heard that and was like, gee, thanks, thanks for that. It's a nice, positive thought. But that was his experience. Things got really hard. In the ministry, I already told you, like, you know, there was a lot of opportunity, but it also created a lot of, like, stress. The church that he was serving, you know, the staff was, like, it wasn't sustainable helping all the people through all their different things. So they were working through that. There was some dysfunction happening at the staff level there at the church. But also at the very same time, he was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And also at the very same time, his wife came down with a very serious and challenging disease of her own. In fact, her disease was so challenging that he got to the place where he was even wondering if she, he should continue doing ministry and serving as a pastor because he needed to get, devote so much time to her and he didn't know if he could do both. And he was saying he was just doing everything he could just to survive that time. He pulled way back from like leading the church and just focused on preaching even as the church needed him, he's like, all I could do with my illness and, and really especially trying to care for my wife, that's all I could do. He said, the other thing that was especially hard was the fact that, and I couldn't process this with anybody. I couldn't process it with my wife because, you know, going to her and kind of sharing with her, like, how hard it was, I didn't want to make her feel guilty as I was caring for her. And then I couldn't process with the people, dear friends on, on the staff of mine because they were already struggling and to process those kind of thoughts, they, they would easily feel kind of abandonment there. So it's like, I was just, he said in this interview, he's like, all I could do is pray. He said, in fact, that was, that was what happened in that season. He became a person who really started to pray. And he said, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I had been a pastor for many years up until that point. It's not as if I hadn't prayed, but he's like, that's when I really started to pray. I developed and activated in a, a part of me, a prayer life that just hadn't happened. And, you know, that helped me through. God 
was with me. I felt just an intimate connection. It was super hard. It's crazy hard, but I got through. And then he said this. He said, you know, and by God's grace, all of it worked out. My wife's health condition cleared up. My cancer went into remission. I was able to go back and help the church staff kind of resolve different issues and matters that they were dealing with. It all kind of resolved, even as it was hard. And then he concluded by saying, and it was all worth it. And I was so glad the interviewer then shot back this question because it was what I was feeling. He's like, wait a minute, how can you say it was worth it? Like your condition literally had you at the brink of, almost, you could have died yourself, let alone all the other hard things. How can you say that was worth it? And he said, okay, while I wouldn't wish upon myself or anybody that experience, if nothing but for developing my prayer life, and learning to go to God for God and trusting Him, regardless of the outcome, it was more than worth it. And when he said that, it just like struck me in the heart. I was just like, man, I think that's the kind of faith we're talking about here in the Hall of Faith, right? These ancient men and women facing just terribly trying circumstances, but evaluating it all in light of who they understood God to be and the promises He was working out, regardless of how the victory would come, over the circumstances or under the circumstances. The world was not worthy of them. That's God's words through the Scriptures. It's like, so let me ask you again. Does your faith help you evaluate your present-day circumstances? Or let me put it this way. When you face hard times, do you turn to God? When you read really hard things in the news, really upsetting things, really confusing things, do you turn to God for perspective to help Him make sense of it, to help Him find your ultimate hope in Him and even as He calls you to serve and love in spite of the pain and trouble and hate and all the rest of it in the world? Do you turn to God? And if as I ask that question, you find yourself in honesty with yourself, that you don't necessarily turn to God, could you? And what would that look like for you in the midst of hard times? What would that look like for you to turn to God to help you to evaluate your circumstances in light of Him and who He is and what He is doing? So that's the first thought. We see that their faith empowered them to evaluate the present. The second thought is we see their faith empowered them to anticipate the future. These Men and women of faith, their faith empowered them to anticipate the future. Let's look again at verse 38. It says, The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. I love the juxtaposition here in this text. Right? Because on the one hand, we're told about these people who were essentially homeless, right? Wandering around without any homes, living kind of like hobbits in their holes. I don't know how that worked, but they were homeless. But at the same time, we're told just with striking clarity and just passion that it's incredible because they were also looking to anticipate a greater future. They were living for something better. I mean, that's even the wording. They were living for something better. Their faith didn't just help them evaluate the present, their faith empowered them to anticipate the future. Uh, One of the things I think the Silicon Valley is especially good at is investing for the future. We're really good, I want to say, without, you know, getting all high and mighty on ourselves. We're really good at investing for the future. We're living in our own, like, modern-day version 
of the wild, wild west in the tech world, right? And, and we have our own versions of striking gold. You know, people come here to make it, right? Whether it's working at one of the startups, whether it's doing, you know, your own startup, whether it's working at one of these behemoths of a, of a company and, you know, biding your time as stock vests, I, I don't know. But, you know, the thinking is, sure, it's hard to live here. You've got to really kind of grind at it to be in the Silicon Valley, partly because it's so expensive and all the rest of it. But, man, if I could just, I mean, we're really good at investing for the future. Worldly future, right? This life, here and now. And that's not just to knock that. But what the Hebrews writer, I think, would encourage us, followers of God, to consider, and actually not just the Hebrews writer, all of Scripture, is if that's the way that we're living or the priority that we're living, we're selling ourselves short. Because what's incredible is the Scriptures actually say, be ambitious, take ground, invest for the future. In fact, I've had a number of of Christians ask me uh, over the years, uh, when they've, especially when they've recently become Christian, like, oh, does this mean I need to stop living ambitiously and like trying to like figure out, you know, the corporate ladder and this or that, and I just need to kind of like stop doing that because I need to be more spiritual? And, uh, you know, it's a bigger discussion, but the high-level thought I say is that's not, what we're, that's not what the Scriptures are saying. The Scriptures want us to be ambitious. They want us to, Jesus said, invest, just invest for things that last. Don't just invest for this life. Invest for the next life. In fact, in verse 38, it even, or excuse me, 35, it, we're even told that for some of these folks who, they, who refuse to be released from prison, I mean, get that, right? This, this is the difference between them and us, but, but these folks refuse to be released from prison, quote, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. That's incredible. What the Hebrews author is therefore saying, it seems to me, is don't just not feel sorry for these guys. Seek to live like them. But don't just seek to live like them so you feel better about yourself or you, you're thought of in a more high, high regard, spiritually speaking. The Hebrews writer, and even Jesus would say, no, live like these people because it's storing up a greater reward, even as it's changing eternity. One of our vision verses of current is when Jesus said these words in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, when he said all these things, he was talking about just our daily needs, and it'll take care of what we, we need, our necessities. And the fact of the matter is he often does way more so than even that. But the point and emphasis of Jesus' thought is seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And that's one of our uh, pillars of values here at Kern. We really have two, and if you've been to a welcome lunch, uh, you'll know this. But one of our, one of our pillars of vision are, is to help people into the faith through Christ-centered community. We want to help people into the faith through gospel-centered community. But the second one is what we're talking about today, and that is we want to activate believers to live for God's kingdom first. In other words, we want to help one another, especially being in the Silicon Valley with the, the talent that's here, the resources that are here, the passion that's here. We want to help ourselves leverage that, not just for this life, but for things that will last, for eternity, which means we get to, as a body, as His church, roll up our sleeves together and serve Him together. We get to make an impact together. We can make a difference together. Uh, are you living facing your, the, the trying circumstances that you face 
anticipating the future? Are you living in light of eternity? Uh, does what you know about God and his promises affect your plans, affects your, affect your purpose? You know, as a quick pastoral sidebar, um, sometimes when I'm talking about these kind of things, uh, I'll get the question or the, the thought will be raised, does that mean we just need to all quit our jobs and go into full-time vocational ministry or become missionaries? And that's not at all what we're saying. In fact, the real emphasis of this text, Hebrews 11, is quite the opposite of that. Because if you look again back at verse 32 alone, when the Hebrews author lists off six names, Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, he just lists off these names. Of those six names, only one was a prophet, Samuel. The rest, for the most part, were professionals. Even David, who's listed off there, was a king. And and here's what we're told. They, They administered justice. That's kind of a timely thought, given the events of these last weeks and our current state of affairs. They, they conquered kingdoms. They were ruling. It doesn't say here in their list of accomplishments that they went out and preached sermons, right? And that's hopefully important. Of course, it is important. But the point is, the emphasis is, these folks, these ancient men and women of faith, saw what they had, who they were, the experiences, the passions, the abilities, the opportunities, and they lived in light of eternity. Their faith empowered them to anticipate the future. And I would be remiss not to, in this moment, talk a a little bit about the fact that today is the volunteer preview service that we're holding, right? As we gear up to hopefully start doing this more frequently, these in-person gatherings, um, one of the things to come at it this way that really struck me in this Hebrews 11 text, which is a text to be real, I've read many, many, many times. It's a very famous text in the Scriptures. I've read it many, many times. But this is the first time this week in my study that I noticed something here that I'd never noticed before. And that is the fact that in all these lists of achievements, just about all of them were done in community, right? You can't administer justice by yourself. You can't conquer kingdoms by yourself. These guys did it in community. And we get the opportunity, at least in a particular sense, to roll up our sleeves together and serve the Lord and serve others, love, care for others, facilitate that in the community, in community, as a church. We are part of the uh, capital C church together with all believers throughout all time, but then we're also a part of the lowercase c church, or current, there's a C there too, to be able to roll up our sleeves together and do it here, to be a light, to be a city on a hill, which I just love given the fact that we're here on this third floor level overlooking the marketplace here. That's where God has called us to. And we get to do that together as we each do our part. I get really excited about the season, the next season in the life of the ministry at the church, but we can't do it without you. In fact, to get really specific, we need about 10 to 15 more volunteers to be able to do this comfortably. And you know uh, the way we try to do things, if you've been around here, is we, we try to not just do things, get it done, but try to do things in a sustainable way. Uh, that's very much uh, at the leadership of Cindy, who's incredible in terms of equipping the, the leaders and the teams to do that. But we want to do this in a sustainable way that we can do it weekly. We need about 10 to 15 more volunteers. So if you feel led and you're willing and comfortable to join the team, let us know. We'd love to talk to you. But if you're not yet ready, uh, we'd love for you to join with us in praying towards us because we just get the sense that this next season has so much opportunity in front of us. God willing, as the pandemic continues to wane away, we've got to pray for that to continue to happen. And restrictions open up and we, can, we gather more and more. I just, we just get the sense that there's a lot of ministry potential open. 
as people are going to be asking questions, coming back to God, perhaps coming to God for the first time, we get to here in the Silicon Valley be a part of that as His church. Uh, Would you join us in praying for that? And if you're at all interested in helping us make that happen as a volunteer, let us know. All right, well, as the the band comes forward to lead us and and close us us out in worship, I want to read uh, these last two verses just one more time. And as I read it, let's, just, let's, let's notice how the Hebrews author connects the dots to us today. Really all believers down time, but takes the examples of these ancient men and women of faith and connects the dots to us today. Verse 39 and 40 say, these, these men and women of faith are commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's saying, among other things, that this hall of faith is still being re- written today. I mean, it's incredible to think about it, that it's, doesn't, it didn't just conclude with these men and women in their lives, but God still looks to see it written in our stories today, which blows me away, even as it's a humbling and sobering thought, that if and when we face hard, trying circumstances, those are actually opportunities to follow the Lord by faith and point people to Jesus, our eternal hope. So let me ask one more time the two questions we've been asking. How can your faith, what you know about God, help you evaluate your present circumstances? Maybe it needs to help you reevaluate them. How can you turn to Him? And then secondly, how can your faith help you anticipate the future and live for the future, even today? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for empowering us to face trying circumstances in light of who you are, what you've done, and what you've prepared for us. Uh, We don't deserve the way you care for us, the way you carry us. Forgive us when we don't face circumstances by faith as we ought. Uh, Would you please help us even today evaluate our present and anticipate the future in light of who you are? who you're calling us to be. And Father, would you please go before us as a church as we seek to regather? Would you please keep us safe? Would you please raise up volunteers that we need? And above all, would you please use us to point people in the Silicon Valley and beyond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.